0: This week on the Sports Initiative podcast I sit down with founders of the Magic Academy Russell Earnshaw and John Fletcher. Former age group coaches for the RFU they discuss practice design, positive environments and coach behaviours and the importance of a collaborative coaching team. This podcast was also recorded over the internet so may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> So Rusty, if I appreciate you getting up on Tuesday morning to do this, I guess first thing to both of you is how are you, how is this new normal treating you and your families? Go on Rusty, you go mate.
1: Oh, I was giving you time to go first. <clears throat> yeah, no thanks oh, mate, thanks for having us on. Um, yeah, it's all good really, had a weekend uh, off, went away, did a bit of running, did a bit of swimming, um, spent a bit of time by the sea. Feeling refreshed and ready to get into September, which is weird. So, um, yeah, got a we're just chatting there, probably pretty quiet, so sep- quieter September than normal. Lots of schooly type stuff normally happening, less so this year, but uh, yeah, we're, we're safe and well. So, we, we're very thankful,
2: yeah. Similar, uh, really, yep yeah. Sort a of good weekend, uh, bank holiday, sort of did some cool stuff with the family. Um, yeah, looking to get into it now, really. But yeah, it is going to be different. Um, September diary looks different to what I thought it would be. Uh, however, do you think there's activity going on? People are people are starting to sort of um, wake, wake up a little bit around activity is going to happen. It's going to be different. But um, yeah, the principles will be the same. There'll be teams, there'll be individuals, there'll be... Um, th- there'll be opportunities for people having amazing experiences and
0: um, yeah hopefully we'll be involved with lots of that. Uh, one thing I've noticed during lockdown is people have been really forthcoming I guess with trying to CPD themselves and trying to upskill themselves and stuff and probably sat in lots of different webinars or listened to lots of different podcasts and I guess the challenge for them now is probably how they're going to implement that in an actual practical context In terms of your guys' experiences, have you got any tips or hints of how people can take maybe the learnings they've done over the previous three or four months and how they can actually implement those in a more practical setting? Yeah, I mean, we've recently sort of developed some sort of
2: sense-making sessions and I think they've been useful just around people, there's a lot of information so people have more information or lots of people would have for for those who've been intentional about it. I think the key is to yeah try and make some sense of it. Maybe write some stuff down, get stuck into some stuff early, see how it goes and then just adapt it from there, really. Uh, I think the key also would be to check in with the other people, You know, whether it be the parents or the players, obviously, and other core coaches in the club, just around, look, this is the stuff that I've heard. Um, so I've been on, on a couple of Zoom calls with some environments that I'm involved with as a parent or as a coach and just kind of just trying to make sense of it all. And look, what's a, what's the a two or three things that, that we're going to do that's going to be slightly different that we're going to try at the start? And that's kind of what it is, really, is just sort of trying it and then just go, then just go with it.
1: Yeah, probably the same. Mike, you guys had a bit of sense-making. I got to do a bit of sense-making with you guys, uh, try and help you consolidate lots of thinking and understand what are the one or two essential things. Our webinars have gone down well with that. we got good feedback from people. It's been really helpful for them because it was quite foggy for them. Um, I dread to think how many Zooms and webinars I've been on. <laughs> oh, my days, just thinking about it. Um, and uh, the reality is people go back on the pitch and they don't have, you know, a, a Brunshee next to the pitch or a John Fletcher or a coach developer. So they've got to, as Fletch said, probably find some other people to check in with. Might be parents, might be co-coaches, might be the kids, Um, and yeah, maybe just be intentional about the one or two things that you're you're focusing on getting, you know, more of or better at, so that we don't have all these kind of crazy coaches doing lots of weird things, or we have the coach that tries a couple of things and then they don't go so well, and we go back to how we used to be. So. i think it's 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 exciting times for coaches it would be worth trying to put
0: timelines on implementing stuff i mean from my from from a personal point of view i've been sitting in two zoom calls a week that have been about an hour and a half long speaking to different guest speakers and stuff about potentially how we can adapt our coaching etc do you think it would be worth of all the notes that you've made maybe schedule it in and go i'm going to try a month block of this or a month block of that to see how things work and give time uh stuff time to bed in etc yeah i mean i would probably
2: blend it a bit you know not um not i I'm, i would agree with what he said don't try and do too much all the time i think people just find it like a bit too odd um so yeah however i would blend you know what's the two or three things across a number of aspects whether it be the environment or how you're designing stuff or or what you've learned or or are or you cues around the decision making stuff so I, I i would blend it but yeah i, I think I, um yeah i would just try a relatively small number of things and just see how they land um and just understand that it's probably not you know it's going to be a little bit disjointed possibly at the start but just to roll with it and just go with it a bit um i do think people need to be intentional about it and just need to let other people know especially the parents. And and the and, and the players, you know, I think sometimes as coaches, we forget to tell everybody, like, the, the amazing stuff that's going on in our head and how excited we get about it. And then at best, it's sometimes the coaching group have a real good clarity and understanding and we just forget to tell everybody. So, like, how can we prime stuff? Um, how can we use our WhatsApp groups, possibly emails or anything else that's out there around giving people? you will probably talk about signposting. So, I think that's kind of what it is, like, how can we help people make sense of the stuff that we've made sense of?
1: Uh, I'm not going to use signposting, but it's a, <laughs> it's a good technique. Uh, yeah, my the stuff I just wrote down there is, yeah, just remember to be you. So be authentic. Don't be the weird coach who suddenly, you know, doing magic tricks and telling jokes like Rusty. Um, <laughs> it definitely depends. So uh, Mike, that might work for you. That might not work for me or Fletch. I think what you suggested is very unlikely to work for me on Fletch, but sounds like you would be keen to do it. And then I think the exercise we did was like, what is coaching? Um, What's your IDP look like? And how can you be supported on it? So, um, and in your case, you've got a coach developer, so you've got Brunchy there, so Brunchy can support people, but just to, yeah, just to condense people's thinking and you know what's if stuff's on your IDP how are you going to keep using your strengths because this isn't just about changing what you do and then what might you add and yeah as Flex said it might be you just add a little bit at a time and you look for feedback and you notice and yeah and you ask for feedback and you see if it's if it's helpful.
0: I think that asking for feedback things is interesting it does bring some interesting bits up because I I actually asked my lads at the end of the season because we'd been in lockdown and then they were moving on to another group. I asked them for feedback and it was really interesting what they came back with because the bits that I think are really beneficial for them and help improving the players are the bits they were like, we don't enjoy that because it's quite tedious and you do the same things all the time. So could you try and change it? And for me, that was a real interesting because i was like okay maybe i do need to look at the way i deliver that because it's something that the lads don't necessarily enjoy as much um so yeah i think the feedback from from the players and stuff is something that i think we can all probably get better with in terms of they're the ones that are in your sessions those are the ones that you're trying to affect so how actually can you collaborate with them a little bit better
1: what did they enjoy
0: what didn't they enjoy
1: and what did they enjoy? Give me the good stuff first.
0: Okay, so they enjoyed the games, um, of course which, they did. which is what all kids do. Um, they enjoyed some of like the possession-type practices where it looks similar to a game. They enjoyed the 1v1s that we do, um, so the ability to kind of go um, one-to-one with someone. And we speak a lot about being competitive, so I don't talk about having to win, but if you're competitive, then that makes them better and makes you better. And um, so those are probably the three things that they really enjoy.
1: Can, can I guess what they didn't enjoy? Yeah. Uh, technical shaping.
0: Yeah. So w- we call it ball mastery. So we have 20 minutes at the start where the, it's just them and a ball. Um, and what they basically said was it wasn't the fact that it was them and the ball. They enjoyed that. But I, I've do it on every Monday in a specific way, which is it is literally just them and a ball. They do a minute on and then 30 seconds recovery doing ball juggling and then another minute on. And they said, because it comes tedious throughout the season when you're constantly doing that every Monday, they found that, found that slightly boring. And what are you going to do about it? What's what stuff you're thinking? So I think there's different ways you can go about it. One thing that I introduced that a few of them said they liked is rather than it being them and a ball, Um, you can make it a team exercise. So if, for example, I've got 12 in a group, if I split them into three threes and then turn it into, um, you know, you've got team one, team two, team three, team four, and you gain points for your team, so that they've fed back in that in terms of, because it's in a team environment and they're competing to try and get points, um, they enjoyed that, like the competition element. And then also trying to just incorporate it into maybe like finishing practice or something like that. So maybe they do a certain number of the ball mastery things followed by the ball juggling. then they get a certain period of time where it goes into (coughs) practice, which is something we've identified that our kids need to improve. So kind of having the work that needs to be done there, but incorporate it into something that they find more enjoyable or they enjoy the challenge of
1: more. At Birmingham, they gamify it, so they've got different levels of keep your peace, get the ball <laughs> in the bin, uh, knock things off crossbars from different distances, different levels. So you start at level one and you work your way through, and it's a lot of uh, ball mastery, but without you, you know, it's competitive, it's fun, it's, uh, it's, it's highly engaging. Yeah,
0: no, I think all those types of things, it's just yeah. trying to have variation to it, um, which I think. Something when we do eventually go back, I'll be looking to do. Fingers crossed. Um, so kind of, I guess, coming away from me slightly. Obviously, I was recommending. Love the
1: way we turn that round to interviewing him, Fletch. As we, <laughs> yeah, it was as a good we, we would. <laughs> it's good.
0: It's good to use um, personal examples. I guess that me working in sport, it's a good. A good chance for me to say what I'll be doing off the back of this, but. Um, Kevin uh, Bowring, who I've had on the podcast before, was, was highly complimentary of you guys. And when I spoke to him about who I should reach out to next and in terms of some of the work they were doing, he he suggested you guys. So for those of you who, if so for those people, don't necessarily know who you are and what your backgrounds are, could you just explain kind of who you are, what you do, and then I guess going into the Magic Academy stuff as
1: well, if possible.
0: on, well, Rusty, mate, roll uh, it, roll it.
1: John Fletcher, Russell Earnshaw, um, 500 Premier League football games. Uh, okay. So, therefore, able to be managers and coaches. Um, <laughs> now, uh, 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 John Fletcher, Russell Earnshaw, uh, Magic Academy emerged two years ago, we both got made redundant by the RFU. Uh, although I was made redundant, Fletcher was sacked. Um, various kind of, well, I can speak for myself, played a little bit, coached a bit, spent two years as a teacher, Worked in the pathway with Fletch, uh, with England Age Group stuff and cross-coach development. um, And now kind of work cross sport, a bit of football, a bit of hockey, a bit of of everything really. Um, And yeah, I guess with a focus around learning and coaching and uh, all the little things that come with that, had a real kind of... The um, last 12 months, definitely been focused around the video game design stuff and Amy Price and felt that that's had impact, uh, but also other areas like co-coaching and, um, yeah, probably more of the tactical side of the game and how we can coach it and practice design. So, yeah, bits of everything, really. Um, both, I've done a bit of stuff in, in football, um, so I've done a bit of stuff, work with... Birmingham City and F.A. and Scottish F.A. and Rangers and a few others, Fletchers, King of being Premier League mentor. Uh, I guess that's the story so far.
2: Yeah, nothing to add, really. Mine would be a similar journey, I haven't done teaching. I worked for the RFU for a lot of years. We their pathway. Um, and yeah, yeah, we're sort of doing lots of different sports. It's good, I'm on the doing some mentoring around the EHOC programme, which I'm enjoying, uh, within football. and Actually, football was my sport when I was a kid. I didn't play rugby till I was about 15. So I, I was sort of grew up playing football and had some trialy stuff. So I was kind of involved, although it was a long time ago and it was a very different environment. But um, I have exposed some sort of football-y type environments. And um, I've got some pals who are heavily involved. So Jamie Williams, we would both know. So sort of catch up with him about what's going on in the round ball game. Um, I think lots of the stuff would be very similar to the other team sports.
1: I think, Mike, I think you would struggle to find anyone keener than John Fletcher with staff football. <laughs> I'm throwing it out there. I'm sure you do have staff football, but Fletcher's <laughs> like different level. He's, he's got crazies on his knees. People have gone off injured. It's just yeah. going to land a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I, I I, still love playing. Um, so so we did a bit. We, uh, we haven't done it this year because of COVID, but we. So I organise a jumpers for goalposts, which is basically anybody rocks up. So you just tell people and we do exactly that. We just put the jumpers down and we just play football uh, and it's class. It's absolutely, it's really competitive, as in people are similar to me in terms of the attitude around trying to do well. Um, but yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun.
0: Yeah, no, we, we, we've introduced um, staff football. I think fortnightly, we try and do it prior to COVID and stuff. So I think... When things get back to normal, we're all itching at the bit to get back and have a kick around with everyone and stuff. But similar to you said, it does get particularly competitive, um, which is interesting. I don't, I don't think necessarily we practice what we preach when compared to what we do with the kids. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's not a development league. It's not a development league, is it? It's <laughs> performance, know. mate. to for goalposts
0: little bit of time wasted, all that type of stuff and keeping the ball in the corner with a minute to go and all that type of stuff. But as you said, not about development at that stage. Um, one thing I, th- I think is interesting that you mentioned there and this podcast I've been quite fortunate with is I've spoken to a variety of sports. I'm trying to link that back, I guess, for me personally to football, but people listen kind of for whatever sport they play in. Is there any common thread you see going from sport to sport in terms of like real positive and coach behaviours or coach practices or coach designs that you could elaborate on? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think you're
2: right to sort of focus around their behaviours. I think the key is their behaviours. What's their attitude towards um, teams and it, yeah, being inclusive and um, given opportunities and being creative. Um, so I would start with their behaviours. I think the good coaching that I see across all sports is that the coach or coaches would have a good mindset to, to the kids having a good experience and probably thinking a little bit around, you know, how they want to leave or you know what sort of conversation they would be having in the car. Um, I think the opposite of that would be opposite where they're behaving not that helpful and then and they're not really thinking about everybody. They're kind of just thinking about probably their best players and with their son or daughter at the forefront of their mind. Um, So they would be the two ends of it that I see. Um, I do unfortunately still see some behaviour that's not that helpful. And I think it's probably the majority. Um, Just mind. I think it's like at the tipping scale. Maybe I'm looking for for it more, but I'm I'm, I'm seeing lots and lots of good stuff. I see lots and lots of stuff that's just not helpful. And I'm not that surprised that we have big drop-off in people playing sport as they become older and all older means is that they just they have better awareness and they have uh and they just have more choice and they're making that decision not to play because they want to go and do something
0: else when um, you talk about not hate helpful what type of behaviours you talking about
2: yeah uh, well just don't give kids a chance or they just um, um and then they're probably not that skillful around understanding that this is longitudinal it's going to take a period of time so just because you give somebody twenty minutes in a game against a local derby, and it doesn't maybe go as well for that, for for yeah for, for that boy or girl. Then you know, you know that's just an opportunity really for them with skillful coaching and and good coaching behaviours, just to kind of play play that out a bit and be positive and supportive, and then sort of seeing how it goes the next time. I do think we still think the most important thing is how many goals you score compared to the opposition, which. Actually, when he step back, and I challenged the coach not that long ago because he said, "Oh, we were really successful last year, and I, I asked him to describe it, and basically just we was just talking about goals really, um, so yeah, I think maybe we could measure some different stuff around success um, but I'll let Rusty go in we i mean you might i mean you, you might want to hold on to your chair <laughs> go on, Rusty, what do you think uh, well,
1: it's always good when you answer first because I can kind of write down stuff uh. If we want skillful, adaptable coaches, I mean, that's, that's probably our end point. Um, we control two things as coaches, practice design and coaching behaviours. I think we spend a lot more time on practice design than we do on coaching behaviours. So when Fletch says unhelpful behaviours, often people are blissfully unaware of it. I think we need to think about coaching behaviours in training and on match days. And on match days, what I see is generally a complete shambles of, you know, I'm seeing, I watched a girls' football game, unfortunately, because I was doing some stuff with hockey and I wandered across this field and there was 11-year-old girls with probably the least athletic group of old men I've ever seen shouting at them. And I literally, it was, it just made me sad, if I'm honest, because actually, well, start with the end in mind. As Fletch said, how do you want people to leave? Probably, a, you know, if I asked you what would you want in your teams you would say belonging, uh, confidence, um, people with good well-being, uh, people who love the game and I can tell you now there won't be many girls on that pitch that love the game. Um, and so just being aware of, of our behaviours is a, is a critical thing and shout out to, to Ed Hall who Fletch hangs out with a bit and just he's done some real good work around this and just generating more awareness of what you're doing and when and why and and people planning more for interaction as opposed to just action so the cones are five yards apart they're all the same you know colour um, type stuff is much more common than actually these three kids are going to struggle in the session so Fletch if you could kind of hang out with those kids a bit and help them through it or actually these kids, how can we stretch the best kids? Okay, well, could we give them some leadership opportunities? So um, I think people are generally unaware of their behaviours on average. And I think on match days, it's carnage. And you know, as as Fletcher's, Fletcher's got one more child than me, but I've still got two. Um, I get to go and see some stuff and I don't enjoy it. and find myself stepping in a bit yeah which yeah, I mean, is um, which is i mean and, and i'm often the guy that my wife goes well, why is it always you <laughs> and it's just not kids just aren't having great experiences would be my view and i reflect, like well now we wonder why they drop out <laughs> seriously it's a bit like why do people leave businesses because of their boss lots of people leave because um, of that coach, actually uh, read a tweet the other day. I thought it was quite good, and it said uh, more people uh, people put more effort into uh, researching their fridge than they do the club that their kids are coached at. Um, and often we'll just take our kids to the their club, and then we'll we'll just put up with it, and we'll just say that's how it's how it's done around here. And I know I'm painting a poor picture, but I've seen some some stuff that's that's ridiculous, quite frankly. And because, the, and because I know the flip side of it is the stuff that we can all remember, which were our best times in sport, where we belonged to a team, where we, we had amazing bonds with people, we created awesome memories. And so the flip side of sport is awesome. <clears throat> when done badly, it's, it's a car crash. It's, it's shaming, it's all that type of stuff.
0: So in terms of challenging those types of behaviours, obviously you've mentioned there your wife said, why is it always you? How do you go about skillfully challenging them with people that maybe you're working with or assisting compared to obviously maybe challenging them just in general if it's someone that you don't necessarily know?
1: I think it's easier if it's someone you're working with. I think it's it's probably then more skillful because there's been something that's happened beforehand where we've agreed some stuff and how's this going to work and <clears throat> what would be helpful versus, you know, Sunday morning, uh, bloke on a, on a rugby pitch, screaming at kids, telling them they're rubbish, dragging kids off type stuff is is probably either do I feel safe enough to go and ask him if he thinks it's useful or do I, or do I consider going over and just chatting to him and distracting him with my com- with my terrible conversation. Um, and sometimes it's that sometimes so maybe there's a clue there for people if if I'm chatting to you at the side of the pitch on a Sunday morning for an extended period of time it might mean you've been a bit of a d- <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah I, look, I'm, I mean my um, uh, I haven't had many cases where it's ended well where you've when, they've, when it's been in the moment um, I think that is a real difficult time for coaches. Um, however, I do think it's, a, it's something that governing bodies and coach developers need to spend more time on. I think they spend far too much time in their training environments. And the vast majority of training, well, yeah. So most of the training environments are perfectly fine. They're safe and there's good intent and there's lots of, you know, there's some good, skillful work going on by the coaches. I would agree with Rusty. I think we need to do more stuff around the match time. So these completely normal people, men and women, turn into so some of them turn into monsters around the game. Now some will say it's the pressure and it's expectations and it's the fact there's a crowd and there's a and there's some you know when people cheer and people boo and and, and people criticise and all that sort of stuff. But it is it is impacting on the behaviour of the coach who I'm seeing behave differently. Um, and some of it's quite radical, really. They turn into <laughs> Yeah, you know they're preventing kids from playing. They're shouting on information. That's not helpful. They're not demonstrating that much stuff. Um, but back to the original point, um, often that doesn't isn't helpful if you if you're that um, if you confront that sort of head on, because people are so pent up and so emotional about it. Uh, I would do that with um, Rusty's strategy as well. Just go and hang with the opposition. So teams that I coach with, we would try to stand together. And we would try to, have, well, we would. We had a conversation at the start. Look, look, how can we support all the players? So not just my players. So tiny little wear blue and white. I'm, I'm going to notice some stuff about your gang. Can we stand together as coaches? Why do we stand apart? Um, why haven't we already had a conversation in a week, which I think would also be helpful and which I think government bodies could do a little bit. Um, and I think it should be, mo- I think it should be modelled by people such as yourself. So, if like if Southampton down in your area, all your coaches stood with the opposition coaches, and you and you did some prime and you had some conversations, and you did like a joint uh, huddle at the end, and you did a huddle, and you were really creative with the stuff that you do, and then that would be helpful, because people would see you guys as the experts, and then those sort of stories get out there. This is how they do it at Southampton. This is how they do it at uh, Newcastle. This is how they do it at Newcastle Falcons. And then, because lots of coaches just kind of mimic and copy anyway, so I think that would be a good start. Um, but this is a long answer. I do think it's getting into the club itself and just to better understand, well, what's the stuff they think is important? What is their purpose? Again, I said to somebody actually last night, they're going on about my kids packed in because the coach was trying to do the right thing and is a really good guy and he's invited some of our players and they're clearly not as strong and this player's find it really frustrating and he's... He's he's actually gone to a different team, um, which is yeah, which is I find it, it's a it's a it's a little bit weird, but I I do think to understand what the club stands for, um, and it's and it's not an academy. Most community clubs run like an academy, so I can understand the academies are making some decisions around selection and I'll be, and are doing some other stuff, but. Um, you know a community club is not an academy to me it 's around giving sport to people in their community, giving opportunities to everything that we know sport gives you um, and it 's not just the technical to so me the technical technical stuff is like it's uh, it's and technical technical it 's there' it's, it's the other stuff 's important
1: yeah it was uh, will definitely be thinking about you know do do most clubs have a clarity on why they even exist so it 's often you know it's it 's about being center of the community kids falling in love with sports, connecting people up. Well, then maybe let's measure some of that stuff rather than the score line. And then the second thing, maybe it's an idea for you, Mike, but you guys were quite famous, weren't you, around having like the black box for like working out player recruitment and stuff. But maybe you have a, 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 a junior, you've put all the stuff in and you've come out with an algorithm on, ma- on junior sports match day and you've come up with the perfect black box of this is what happened. So we speak five days and 42 minutes before the match in the week. And we agree some stuff. And then on the match day, the kids write on a whiteboard the behaviours they want from the adults. And both coaches get together and hang together. And the parents uh, set a task of um, affirming um, positive behaviours from kids that aren't their kids. And then afterwards, we all go for a hot dog. Um, And that's, that's what the black box came out with. And it was the perfect match day and we're continuing to iterate it to make it even better for experience for the kids and a slightly more relaxing experience for the adults as well
0: i think yeah i I think it is interesting to see the the differences you can get between for us certain games to other ones so you know we play a wide range of games you you've got some of your maybe grassroots teams or JPL teams that come in, particularly during midweek compared to us going around and playing, you know, Premier League, other teams and stuff. And you can see the difference in the kids with that, which I find really interesting. And one of the things that we always try and say to them is, if it was Man City, for example, they're just a group of kids from Manchester that play football. There's two goals, a football and a load of white lines. It's no difference to what you'd normally have. But I do wonder how often that type of message gets portrayed to the kids compared to this is a really great opportunity. You've got to go out and press, which automatically kind of brings the pressure in.
1: It's a big game, isn't it, mate? Big, big is the word. And and what you also forgot to say is it's a, it's a bunch of kids born in September from Manchester because when I went to Man City and had lunch with the, the lads and asked them, when they were born, they were pretty much all born in September. So uh, they were a fearsome team to win some big games of junior football.
0: Your big Q1s. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a lot of Q1s. But big, I mean, just the word big is... I hear coaches use the word, "that's no, a, a big game, it's a big week. Like, for who? Why? Yeah, just think, think a bit longer term would be my view. Um <clears throat> Do,
2: do, do you want to talk about the experience, sort of occasion-y type stuff that, that Jamie talks really well about? Jamie I think Williams. he's talk about it
1: better than me. Whatever.
2: Yeah, so a guy called Jamie Williams. He's been involved with football coaching. He's now um, on an exciting adventure with South Shields. Um, I mean, I like him. He calls himself a pracademic, so he's. So I first came out and was a coach, coach my kids. I was really impressed with how he designed his session, how he was with the kids. His sort of his sort of behaviour around this, like this win and losing stuff, he's really good with the parents, and we kind of stayed in touch. And he's had a number of roles, FAs and Sunderland's and and various others. But he would talk about stuff around occasions against experiences. He feels as though often sport is an occasion. It has a it has a build up, it has a start, and it has a finish, and then you have another occasion. So he would describe it as a as, as teams just have maybe twenty occasions, and what he needs to. What he would sort of prompt us around is about, we need to think about it as a bit more of an experience. Um, And if we have that mindset around this is just part of this longitudinal journey that these players are going to go on with, lots of stuff going well, some stuff not going so well, then we kind of link stuff together better. We link our training, uh, we link bits in our training, we link our training to the game, we link the game to the next game. Um, and it's just an experience and actually if we were to plan experiences, we would want stuff not going well. We'd want stuff so we can build their resilience and develop their, you know, their leadership and their love of the sport and all of that. Sort. And obviously we'd want lots of stuff going well uh, and we'd want the coach to behave in a certain way. So, Rusty, add, add, the, add some best bits as well.
1: No, I think even if we were, if we were like ninja level, we'd be talking about individual experiences. You know, we'd be planning individual experiences. We wouldn't be planning this homogenous match and saying we won 1-0. It doesn't, 1-0 just doesn't give a good measure of, of, of anything, quite frankly. So perhaps consider, you know, well, what about the kid that his team won the game and he sat on the bench and got on for a minute? Um, you know, what was his or her experience like? What about the goalie when he lost 10-0? I mean, were you, were you intentionally losing 10-0? Or, you know, when eventually when all his teammates have stopped telling him he let the ball in um, might might not have been a good experience. But also what's the stuff that I think then if we're starting to talk about experiences, we then start to think about what comes before and what comes after. So what comes before? Do we need to prime some people for some stuff or not? And what comes after? Do we need to spend time reflecting? And, and it becomes a learning experience as opposed to just something that happened casually. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great mindset. And Jamie, Jamie writes a blog. Um, I'm sure you could tag it onto the show notes. And, and yeah, I think he's a, he's a good thinker.
0: So if you're talking about priming, would you say, for example, you're going to put in the fixture list, maybe three fixtures back-to-back that will be really challenging because you want to really challenge the kids. Would you challenge the kids? Uh, would you tell the kids, even at a younger age, that actually – these fixtures might be challenging for you, but in the long term, this is going to really help your development? Or how would you go about um, informing them or priming them?
1: Uh, I think it depends. <clears throat> and, and I think there's some other people you might have to tell as well, namely the parents. Um, but you might actually go, you you might have put those three games in and, <clears throat> and actually the first one, you feel comfortable that they're going to go and find it tough and then we're going to reflect on it and we're going to use that to prepare for the next couple of games, uh, or you might tell them in advance. I mean, the reality of kids' sports is, I mean, now all the, my son plays rugby, now all the scores are kept online. line. They already know the, uh, the form guide before the match starts. They've already decided who's going to win the game. Um, so you might want to, yeah, just, just help them beforehand and you might not, or it might be some individuals or I think it just depends. You would know your group of players and what their needs are and how you can best support them with that. What do you think of Fletch?
2: Um, yeah, I'm priming good to, I mean, everything that said and then maybe just give them, like, what stuff are you going to notice at the we, week, like, ideally what stuff have you been talking about uh, training on and then just score it, just score it, just get the clickers out and score the stuff that you think's going to be helpful for this epo- for, you know, for this game and their experience, and it can't just be the score. It can't just we can't just be referencing how many goals somebody scored. But by the way, like I don't know, maybe three fifths of the team don't ever score or hardly ever score. You know, what was the score? Did you score? The two most asked questions, I and mean, we've got to shift that emphasis to the stuff. However, when you ask parents why they want their kids to play sport, like what's the important stuff to them? So any parent really why do you want your boy or girl to play this sport they will not reference or very rarely will they reference um this this sort of winning stuff are you scoring more than the opposition they'll reference the stuff that you would expect people to talk about it's about fitness and friendship and and then, and then becoming good at stuff and and being part of a team and everything that that looks at you. well then let just talk about it and and then clearly in your coaching session it's like let's look to develop that um so I think what you score is really important. Like, again, with the cricket match last night, we we have a scoring system that's going to impact on their sort of behaviour type stuff.
0: So what what type of things have you got in place?
2: Uh, what sort of stuff have we done in the past, or so from a from a tactical point of view, we would be like, how many times can we turn the ball over? How many how many different types of tries can we score? How many different players can score? All of that sort of stuff from a behavioural point of view there would be you know there would be stuff around giving people different opportunities to sort of lead the team a bit so you're going to lead the fielding team um, you know you're going to do the sort of this half-time conversation type thing going on there's, there's all sorts of stuff that we can do as coaches to give them some opportunities to demonstrate the skills and behaviours we think is actually going to be helpful. Um, both of them being good at football in this case, or good at any of sport, but actually it's going to help them in other, in other walks of life, and it's going to give them like confidence, and it's going to give them, it's going to build their self-esteem, and it's going to give them some sticky moments, and they're just going to demonstrate some, you know, some or try some stuff out really.
1: And I um, I've just been thinking about, so I, I played football when I was younger, but um, not very well, as you'll hear from this story. Uh, but the only score I can ever remember is we lost to, uh, we lost to St. Michael's 19-0 and, um, and I was playing in defence. That so wasn't good. Um, but, um, but imagine if before the game the coaches had said, right, so what we're going to score today is how you react to the referee, um, how do you react after you concede, what positive impact can you have on other people in your team, uh, how often you keep your head up and your, and your levels of effort. I don't think we would have lost 19-0. I think we'd have actually done better in the game. I know what you're thinking, Fletch. We weren't that skillful. Uh, But I think we would have learned some stuff about ourselves as well. And and so there's a great way that we could have primed in advance. Um, As there was no priming, perhaps the reality is that we probably learned very little about it really, apart from we just moved on. But but that stuff in advance, as Fletch said, measuring some some different stuff. I love, Fletch always says like, because he, he's got his clickers with him all the time, you were, um, he, he, you know, sometimes the opposition coach is gleefully celebrating winning a game of rugby and Fletch is thinking, well, not in our game you didn't win. We won on the uh, positive body language game.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a, an actually interesting football story. So it was my middle, uh, Archie's playing and, uh, Jamie actually had some influence on one of younger, and then he didn't coach him, but they were, you know, they were really um, yeah, they were skillful at sort of moving the ball and passing the moving and real good at it. And I actually scored again based on some certain things. And they did lose and they lost quite heavily. The opposition had this giant of a of a kid really fast who could kick the ball really hard and scored lots of goals. And, and the coach was like, and I actually went up to him and said, um, this is a squad, Are you curious to to walk to it? And he kind of said, No, 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 not really. So, I think it was things such as, like, like, um, like sort of double touches type stuff. So, get the ball and then, and then pass, and it was opportunities created. We actually created more opportunities. We just we didn't have this really tall guy who was really fast, who could kick the ball really hard. And he could kick the ball really hard. Interesting enough, he's uh, uh, just... I, I actually, well, I found out in the lockdown, he stopped playing football. He's just not having that much success. However, he is staying in the game because he's gone to refereeing, which is cool, but he's, but he's no longer playing football. Um, I don't think it was having as much success.
0: Yeah, the challenges I guess, in, in um, academy football, we're fortunate in terms of being able to play people across age groups. So, whereas exactly. at the older age groups, for example, if you've only ever had success in JPL or grassroots and you've never played across an age group, you may get to a point where everyone catches you up and then all of a sudden you go, actually, this isn't that enjoyable because I was scoring, now I'm not. Whereas one of the positives... Particularly in our program, is that we're able to move people up and down to really challenge them, like you mentioned earlier, to then hopefully get some longer term gains rather than them just succeeding constantly now. How many players do you move down? Um, it can vary from age group to age group. This year, in my age group, we had two that went uh, down, if you like, um, largely because of their birth quartile. So they're q4s i think august born and a july born and we felt that it would benefit them to play down for a couple of weeks or a period of time to get used to it they also train with uh, so the under 10s and 11s train together every friday so you your q1s of the under 10s get the opportunity to obviously play up against people who are physically more capable and the uh, uh, younger ones in the under elevens obviously play down with people that are physically more appropriate to their age so the biobanding stuff is something that we're quite good with actually, and you know we we kind of make plans for people according to their bio bio age and how they fit into an age group and that type of stuff so but I think it is really important being able to provide them with that support because otherwise as um, as Russell Rusty sorry um, alluded to earlier, you end up with a load of Q ones that can go around boshing everyone around.
2: Yeah, I mean my my experience of age of uh, community sport is we don't move down enough. I think we're pretty good at moving up, and we would give that stretch. And it's you know it's it's generally there's a you know I mean again cricket I keep talking about it. it's a it's a great sport because actually from eleventh to thirteenth you move from pairs to you're out you're out and in the county that I'm at you know. Probably less than ten percent would be. That would be the appropriate environment. Um, so we, as a club, have actually just made the decision that we're going to, you know, we're going to scrap the, the, their, the age group stuff. It's, it's going to be based on what stage that they're at. Lots of the players would have benefited from still playing pairs cricket. So you everybody gets a bat and a ball, and you get that opportunity. And if you're out, you actually get the next ball, which is a really important. Um, actually, even within cricket, when you're out. When the cricket rules you have to go to the other end. You have to do the walk of shame and go. I just like leave them in. <laughs> it's like you're out. Oh, this is like mate, just stay there. Just have the next ball and see what you make of it, type stuff. It's um yeah. Um but yeah, I think moving down would be something that and I understand the social groups and um but yeah, so we probably got some work to do around the stigma. Stop calling it up and down, maybe don't reference age groups type stuff just have like stages of development i think would be useful maybe having a different training environment to a playing environment so you might train with your mates but you play in a different environment at times might be useful
0: as well i think we one thing we do quite a lot is we um speak to the kids about it and we try and explain it to them as best as possible and say you know you at this moment in time physically you're a q4 which puts you however many months in deficit to these people, this is something that we're aiding your development, and we try and really frame it and be positive with them around that, and then link into what you said earlier, give them some accountability in terms of role that they play when they do move across that age group. So, you know, saying for the day you should be one of the leaders you know you've got really good thingy we're going to support you with this so can you be really positive can you lead the warm-up for us so you take out and you take the group for that first part of the warm-up and make it almost a situation where they feel really positive about it because they're captain for the day or they're you know they're getting they're getting an opportunity to really lead and show that group by example of what's expected what values we hold?
1: I think if we started from scratch, um, we wouldn't just play in one age group, it would be a multitude of experiences. We would use the word across as opposed to up and down. Um, For example, at at, uh, Bristol uh, Rugby, they train with kids across three age groups at the same time. So there's lots of, and they'll vary the teams and they'll but there's opportunities for mentoring. There's opportunities for empathy. There's opportunities for coaching. Uh, there's opportunities for stretch. There's opportunities for support. There's there's everything really. Uh, I think Fletch said it's you know stage because it's not just birthday. There might be some small kids born in Q1 or some physically mature kids born in Q4. And I think it's about as you said, uh, Mike. It's about intention and it's a learning experience for people i think fletcher was surprised that you said people play down because you just don't just doesn't exist that much does it
2: no no it doesn't yeah um yeah i just think kids and 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 you're right you know this sort of in a spot where it's not just their quartile stuff it is their training age it is their different experience it is a different challenge um i mean every all the stuff i've Either experience or notice would be that, you know, you want to give them a blend of experiences, which is around really, really challenging, as in like almost too challenging. Stuff is kind of in the middle where they find it all right and it's probably more around hanging with their peers and then getting into an environment that they find relatively straightforward because um, they're more likely to be creative, they're more likely to take on some responsibility in those environments. So I think the best, and clearly that's what you're talking about, that's what's happening at Southampton. You're really intentional about it it's going to uh, allow them or afford them different things um but moving up and down is something that that doesn't happen that much schools actually do it pretty well although tend again tend to go up a bit give people stretch when i'm thinking and i'm seeing two or three kids who would really benefit either physically or tactically from going like um into the other age group or maybe even into the other team um i, I mean lots of environments would have multiple teams can we just like and but and like please like get them away from the stigma around ABCD team because it's I just don't think it's and I know it's people say oh well it's bit pink and fluffy but just give them a name and and like not give them a a, a purpose but like again the the Tyndall second team at the rugby club is always like everybody wants to play for our second team because it's just such a cool environment they're called the Raiders they've got a real identity they've got a real strong purpose Um... Um, so I think clubs kind of do that with their senior clubs. It's very rarely they call first, second, third, fourth. Even the veterans have got a cool name. Um, but that's something to consider as well. And having a strong identity with that team, get the kids to look to design stuff and have real pride about playing for that
0: in that environment. I think what something you were kind of alluding to there, and particularly with the kids, is kind of the leadership side of it and developing those skills and leaders. And something we spoke about briefly before was, I hear a lot at the moment of uh, clubs or people wanting good decision makers and good, good leaders and stuff. How would you go around about in, in your practice designs or in your behaviours as a coach, developing those two areas in terms of getting players that are good decision makers on the field, maybe when, when you're not able to see or do everything for them? Um, or good leaders who are able to support teammates kind of in, in that social or, or team environment? Uh,
1: stuff I'm thinking about and I just wrote down Lee Blackett because I watched the wasps Bath game yesterday and it was... So Wasps had lost four players in the first half out, serious injuries. Both their hookers, uh, they ended up with I think five different players threw into a line-out yesterday which would be like five different players playing in goal in a football match, if you can imagine. And they won. And so, um, and Lee said afterwards, oh, I'm just really pleased with the leadership and the decision making in the team. It's something we worked on. So for example, they, they couldn't play line because they didn't have a throw in. So they started taking quick taps and, and they just adjusted really well. So go back to the stuff you can control as a coach, uh, practice design design practices that have problems to solve, almost all the time. So scenarios, um, think about some of the gamification stuff, tactical warfare stuff. One team not knowing what the other team are doing would be, if you're not doing that, then in my opinion, you're not really preparing people for the game. Lots of the um, technical shaping for me, wouldn't inc- people then wouldn't understand when and why to use it. Um, so, I think you need to think about your practice design. secondly, think about your coaching behaviors if you're telling them all the answers if you're shouting from the sideline, if you're stopping the practice, getting them in the huddle and the are speaking, then you're not really preparing them to go and solve problems in games of football or rugby or whatever invasion sport it is um so then, I guess it then comes down to your your coaching craft and what you 're good at, and so Your noticing skills are going to have to be good. So, if you've set a problem where, I don't know, one team are playing a high press and the other team don't know and they're trying to work it out, then you've got to be good at noticing whether anyone's worked it out. And if they haven't, you might need to then get really good at scaffolding them and supporting them with it. So, you might use a freeze or a replay or you might ask someone a question. Now, that player might then not tell everyone else. So, you might need to understand why they didn't tell everyone else or create an opportunity. So, you might Um, kind of facilitate pauses into your sessions where the players can call the timeouts and they can problem solve and of course you would then as a coach probably listen in and see whether they're solving stuff and what they saw versus what you saw. Um, So I think it's um, the flip of that of course is we set practices where there's no problems to solve. That's cool isn't it because we'll, we'll get certainty and we'll get through the session and there won't be any problems. And we tell them the answers and we get them in huddles and we just feel a bit better about ourselves because the session went well, because that's what we think went well looks like. As opposed to actually it was quite messy, it was quite sticky. There's a bit where they didn't even notice that they had no goalie. that I took two of their players off. And so, but that's because of the stuff that we've previously done in coaching that probably takes them a, away from problem solving would be my view. So. I think it's practice design I think it's being aware of your coaching behaviors and how you can help support people solve problems and it might be even a simple as like well what two things what two principles are we going to have in huddles <clears throat> or when you guys run half time as you're about to what what two or three things will I notice as a coach or so just finding ways of scaffolding the the problem solving moments um what are you thinking,
2: Fletch? Yeah, similar, and, and 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 all of that, and maybe some similar stuff. Just at the start of the session, say we're gonna, like, we're gonna shine the light on leadership. So, like, I mean, everything that mostly said. So lots of it should just be in, implicit, and in and, and through how you you're designing and stuff and your your skills as a coach and stuff. But occasionally, you might want to go. So we're actually going to focus on leadership. So like and and maybe you you know use use the whiteboard or use clickers or use parents just to notice some stuff. So we would um, the stuff we've been playing around with the younger ones within rugby would. So we would call that like sort of general behaviour. So like who's the general maybe associated with an animal when they're really young? So who's who's like behaving like a lion? Um, if if you've associated or uh, sort of lion with sort of the leadership stuff. Um, and then just notice it, you know, just like, and then praise it. It's just what good coaching, good parenting would be really, isn't it? I, I think we're missing loads of um, good leadership stuff. I do think we're preventing it, which is what Rusty sort of alluded to a lot. But I think there's some stuff going on that's going unnoticed. Um, and actually, I had this chat with my youngest last night who um, would probably... Describe himself as a good leader because he actually organises and he's talking a lot and he kind of gets the game and stuff. And I challenge him around, well, who else in your team do you think leads? And we came up with this other player who actually is really, really quiet, but actually leads in a different way. So I actually think we need to reframe what leadership is. Um, It's not just always the kid that talks the most.
1: Yeah, I like the stuff you've done, Fletch. Um, and, And you talk about, well, what if the coach wasn't there? But the stuff you've done at the club around the wizard. Uh, the, the general, the, the medic, the, so actually understanding there's different versions of leadership in a team.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Just to, and again, just to bring it to life. And what, what, what we did, we scored it. Was, it was really interesting, uh, Mike. So we had, a, we, we had two teams. We kind of split them in terms of their, their, their sort of rugby ability. However, one team was really strong around this w- wizardry stuff and the other one was really strong around this warrior stuff. So like, you know, effort and and interesting enough, actually, that was good because we we then played a number of weeks and it, and it did impact on how we actually moved the squad around a bit. We we tried to get a much better blend. Um. So 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 we had a team that full of kids who just grafted and worked really hard, and we had a team full of kids who were probably trying some stuff. And um, yeah, we didn't mix them up that well. We mixed them up and based upon probably actually the outcome of the match. You know, how would this? How many tries would this team score compared to how many tries this team would score? And it, it, it did definitely impact what we did the week after. We swapped some people around. So we had a better blend of that general, wizardry, warrior, medic, um and whatever the other one is. I can't how did you um, bring those to the kids? Yeah, well, we just got. Uh, w- so I, I wrote them on the board and I said, what do these re- represent? And we kind of got there. So, like, the wizard was the easy one. So we would talk a lot about magic moments and actually they they got them all really quick really general so like you know what you know what sort of general behavior um everybody pointed who they think is a good general at this moment in time type stuff and and then the coaches we just referenced that bit so we used that language so we would say you know we would say oh that's a great warrior moment or isaac mate what a warrior and all that sort of stuff and we measured it so we got the we got parents to measure it and then we like kept this tally and we we spoke about it at the end of the game. Uh, we played played a team called Northern, who are like really strong. Um, I mean, we got thump, but we like we 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 did really well around this type of stuff, and the kids loved it. The kids just loved the fact that we were measuring it and we're trying to support them around it. And we had some conversations. It's it's definitely something we're going to do a lot more of. It's going to come even more into our into our training, not just our games. Um
0: how important do you think the scaffolding side is? Because I, I see a lot of people talk about the decision making side uh side or the leadership side, and almost I feel like their two answers are either I have to tell them what good leadership or good decision making is because then they've got no reference point, or I'm just gonna leave them to it and let them try and figure it out. I think A lot of coaches struggle with that in between and providing a certain level of scaffolding or support, but then allowing them the autonomy to go and look around. How important do you think kind of figuring out what scaffolding needs to be in place is?
1: I think it's critical. I think Twitter's full of people who claim there's people at either end of the spectrum and the reality is there isn't. Um, Co-creating was something I was thinking about then. So as an example with hockey goalkeepers, they often... They're often getting changed a little bit longer than everyone else, it takes ages to put the kit on. So they're kind of, how they interact with their peers is slightly different and they've got a mask over their face. So um, they often wear a mask in huddles and they miss opportunities to connect. So Matt Ways, you know, just started out. He just said, look, I co create the sessions with the goalies," So immediately giving them much more opportunities to lead and and to decision make and solve problems and that's a real simple scaffold. It might be, as Fletcher said, a whiteboard and actually we're going to just keep a record of the tactical kind of warfare that went on in today's session and then we're going to reflect on that. So a whiteboard might give someone the ability to write some stuff when they might currently not feel comfortable saying some stuff. Uh, it might be let's agree what a huddle looks like or it might be actually Mike's team is going to do a huddle, Fletch, your team is going to watch Mike's huddle and you're going to give them feedback on it. So it's, it's all that type of that type of stuff. And then from a decision-making point of view for me, it's how can we understand what the kids have seen? And so there's a couple of things uh, Mike Ashford said to me uh, and to you, Fletch, um, the, um, you can only see what you can do. So the reality is if we want good decision-makers, we need to make them really skillful. So Messi's probably a good decision-maker, I would imagine. He's quite skillful, although it seems like he's making some bizarre decisions at the moment. Um, and then in order to understand what they've seen, it might be actually freeze, close your eyes. You know, where's the where's the person you would pass to if you got the ball? It might be replay, look, do you want to have another go at that? Because actually it was a really good decision, P- possibly wasn't good execution. Or actually, do you want to think about what are the decisions to make? or it might be you scaffolding things like pauses, so like a timeout, actually, Rusty, we need a timeout. Um, we just need to chat about how they're defending because we're not making good decisions on playing, but we've noticed that they're defending this twice. Yeah, I think it's it's all, it's it's what do we do before the session, it's what are the skills we use during, and then what do we use after and Fletch works with um, Sarah Kelleher in... Um, in, in England hockey and, and she does a brilliant thing where they replay the best five moments of the session afterwards. So that's a great way to reinforce really good decision making, collective decision making, either in attack or in defence. So for me it's what am I doing as a coach before the session? Is there some priming? Is there some meetings? Is there some stuff that could have happened? Is there a, a whiteboard? What am I doing during the session? What are the individual interactions look like? And and, and then what am I doing after? And the last thing, actually Fletch, we chatted about this the other day and I don't know if you've had a chance to do it yet, I haven't. But what if we just ask questions of players next to players? So what if we asked Fletch, what do you think Mike saw? Or Mike, what do you think Fletch was thinking when he did that then? So we didn't ask the person directly, so we asked people around them, so we started to build connections between people. So there's my thought experiment for your first week back, Mike. You're not allowed to ask questions directly to people. You have to ask questions about people to other people.
0: I've got an interesting story about that actually. Um, Not so much a questioning, but more in terms of the player engagement. So I was listening to an interview the other day with one of the former United players who was talking about um, Alex Ferguson and his man management skills. And one of the things he said was he, un- he understood which players he could be more on and what personalities could take him, give him a bit of stick, and which ones couldn't. And the example they used was in the change room, Nani couldn't take critical feedback in front of the group. He really, really struggled with it, but Wayne Rooney could. So what Ferguson used to do is he used to tell Wayne Rooney points that were meant for Nani. So he would say to him, every time you get the ball, you keep trying all these flicks and tricks and trying to take on three players. Will you move the ball quicker? Wayne Rooney could take that critical feedback, but Nani would implicitly hear it and go, well, if he's telling Wayne to do that, that probably means that I need to as well. And I thought that's a really interesting way, although it obviously comes with critical feedback and being able to get your point across in an effective way to that player. Which I thought was I thought was really interesting. I like the thing you've said there regarding the five moments of the game and possibly rewinding that. I think I think that's good. That's something you could use the kids would love it. Like if it said best bit of play, best bit of combination, or something like that, even if it's in slow motion. But the what other
1: thing... to to the match of the day music.
0: Yeah, which, which which would be great. And I think the other thing as well was linking what you're saying there potentially into topics. So if we've got a topic that's like defending outnumbered then can you get them writing on a whiteboard in a topic and during the game, so they've got to disembark from the session to go and write on this whiteboard. So what have we now created? Well, we've created an outnumbered situation because this player is going and writing. So now you're getting your topic out, which is linked to potentially a leadership skill or, or, or something like that, that you're also working on as a side piece, if you like. Nice. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to speak to you guys about was the um, kind of collaborative coaching work that you guys have been doing. Could you just talk through to say, obviously, what it is and the importance of it, and how coaches can maybe work more effectively as as a as a group um, rather than maybe a head coach and your assistants' is, assistants not doing a lot.
2: Um, well, yeah, I'm sort of happy to just start it off. So. Um, I just think it would be useful. So the stuff I've noticed is, uh, and I'm I'm involved in it, and I live in this world. You know that it's really hectic, and we get to Saturday night, and go, oh wow, there's some sessions going on tomorrow. To be fair, the the guys I hang with, uh, the lead coach of all, they said from a rugby point of view, are really strong around the admin and organisation. So we would have had some information, but it's uh, it's just about coming together and having some kind of uh, idea about what it is you want to achieve in the session or what stuff are we going to link it to what's been happening and then just what's our function and our role and it's and it is useful for me because there's a my personality is to kind of lead it a bit and take it on and be really adaptive and, and go with the flow stuff and that's sometimes not that helpful the people i coach with who often are looking at me going what's he doing where are we going with this so it's certainly not to prevent that but it's It's more useful to what your function is within this session. How are you going to be more effective as a team um, type stuff? Who's going to have different responsibilities? And then if you are, we probably haven't got to this stage yet, but it's something we're talking about in the club that I'm at at Tyndale is about actually maybe then linking it to the stuff that you want to get better at or you're really good at. So being actually a bit more thoughtful around, well, Fletch, you're actually going to notice some stuff. Like uh, I've off the ball or with certain type of players, because that wouldn't be my that tends that wouldn't be where I would sort of go naturally. So naturally, I would go in the middle. Um I'd probably join in a bit, and then I'd start doing some stuff that would be quite natural to me. So understanding where your natural place is, and then maybe doing some other stuff that'll help you as a coach. Because again, I think what we tend to do as a coaching group, we go to our natural place. So Fletch leads. And the others looked at support. Got a guy called Peter who's brilliant, real good at one on ones, um, played a real good standard. So it's able to sort of, you know, give them some information or maybe even pull them out, especially around the kicking game. So strong kicker of the ball. Um, but which is fine. You definitely don't want to be in your natural flow, but I think we could, uh, we could maybe do some other stuff. But in order to do that, you're going to have to have some conversations about it and kind of have a bit of a plan around how you're going to co- co- coach. And if we ever get around to it, we've got some real good ideas around these core coaching stuff that we've got some stuff written down that we that we need to share with people. Because I do think um, it's like nearly to the ninja level of coaching, really. Like I think we've talked a lot about how you're designing your practice and how skillful you are as coaches, but actually bringing that all together as a coaching team and and um, helping the team and helping the players, is um, it's like it's nearly the boss level stuff, isn't it?
1: I how many people have done well. Just think of all the stuff coaches are currently doing that means that they are unable to coach individuals. So they're often keeping score, they're refereeing, and they're feeding the ball. As an example, I'm not saying so. You could be a skillful referee, and you could be using it to introduce second ball or to penalise people, or so, and that's fine. But. but Actually, you're probably doing as Fletcher said, what you've always done, and you're probably standing in similar places. The goalie coach stands near the goalies. Um, the, you know, the guy who played centre-mid stands centre-mid. If you're assistant coach, you probably stand a little bit further away from the action. You might stand, depending on the power dynamic, you might stand on one side of a white line, uh, especially if you're like an S&C coach as well. In a football environment, you would definitely stand on one side of a white line. You wouldn't want to encroach on stuff that you think is is what the football people are responsible for. Um, And then I would just have some stuff. So some stuff I just read down there. I would have a head of off the ball in football. I would have a skills master. I would have a head of IDPs, uh, someone in charge of stretch and support, and someone who's coaching scanning. Because we all say how important scanning is, and who's coaching it, and who's even looking at it. So I had a, um, a session in Birmingham, and I was you know, one of the coaches. I said, "We're going to spend ten minutes, and we're going to work out who's the best scanner off the ball." And uh, and he was feeding, and he said, "Oh, uh, Rusty, I can't do that hand feed." Well, of course you can't. So how about stop feeding, and maybe just put some balls around the pitch, and they can all be worth different values. So players can choose when they bring them in, and tactically watch which are the right ones to bring in at the right time. Um, and then we can focus on scanning off the ball. And then if you have to then look at where people are scanning, then you might have to stand in different positions. Um, the other position I adopted a little bit was actually if you go on the pitch and if you stand behind players and go five, four, three, two, one, and tap them on the back, you can get you can get everyone. It's really easy yeah what I hear in football is lots of coaches saying uh, check your shoulders check your shoulders Um but no one checks their shoulders but they do when, when a six foot four man from Middlesbrough might go five foot three to one and have you on the back now that's not game realistic and that's not what we want but if we introduce some, some stuff around like I don't know if you get if as you receive the ball someone touches you or tackles you then you lose a life and once you've lost three lives, you go back in the changing rooms and you might start checking your shoulders a bit more. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I think there's, as Fletch said, think, be more intentional, agree some stuff beforehand, be comfortable that it's not, you know, it's not black or white, but it's probably an area of responsibility because otherwise stuff slips through the cracks. So I don't see off the ball coach particularly well. I don't see people's development plans put into games particularly well. I don't see the best players stretched. So the lad Fletch referenced, who's now a who's now a referee, was he wasn't stretched enough, pure and simple. I mean, he probably could only probably because he only needed to kick with one foot. And then I don't see scanning coach well enough. And then what I do hear is you can't coach it, and or. You know, it, it takes years to get that good, and you know, but well, it does if you don't have any intention around
0: it. Do you think it's important the um, the the coaching group that you have having different personalities? I know you've mentioned there to different job roles and what people are looking for. Do you think it's important to have different personality types to aid with your different differentiation in the group, or would you say that I that's think secondary? That, I
1: mean, Diversity of, of, of thought is important in a coaching team. And it was interesting that when we did the thing with you, actually people were presenting on what coaching is. And I was in the rooms where people were going, oh, okay, wow, that's... Uh, I didn't know that that person thought that. Um, so actually some of it is also they're getting to understand each other, what you think coaching is, what are your super strengths as a coach? You know, what's the stuff that actually you're you're a little bit worried about? What's the stuff that... You know gets you really excited about uh, what you find hard just those type of discussions so i think you guys presented like a bit like your idps to one another and i think that's a useful exercise as coaches to go look this is this is the stuff i think i'm pretty good at uh i could do with a bit of support around this and then in the same way as we would design sessions for players to learn also designing sessions for coaches to learn the um, best way to get
0: better players is to have better coaches I I was going to say I'll ask you one last question because I appreciate you guys got other meetings you need to get to but um, in your experience I ask this everyone in your experience who's the best practitioner that you've worked with and why or who's the best coach that you've come across and why
2: Well the practice sorry as in as in on the grass coaches yeah oh there'd be a number of people who I how I would admire um lots of you know and and lots of coaches have really good bits um so there is a real um um and I'm not thinking because I can't think of any I'm thinking because I don't know who to who to sort of talk about um I mean, I do, I, I mean, he's, I mean, he's on the call, but I think Rusty's, he's, he's an outstanding coach he's around. However, there, there'd be other elements that he would need some, he would need some support on. So I think his strength is around creating an environment where, um, players have to think a lot, a lot. So, um, a real good stretch around individuals. Um, I think he moves in and he adapts it really well. So, um, often he's either doing some of our things I'm going, an wow, that's, you know, I hadn't necessarily thought of that. Um, uh, I mean, there's a guy called Ed McNulty who I, I was fortunate just because I hung around support him around he's level four. But again, his stretch was very good. His use of language, he, he was well supported. Ironically, he was really well supported by Ed Hall and some others. Um, and he has a mindset and he's really curious. So, if he was on this call now, he'd probably contact you within half an hour and say, have you got any feedback from me? what sort of stuff did you, you know, that type of stuff. So, I think that's also important to have a coach who has that type of mindset. And There'd be lots of good, you know, good good bits around coaching. Who else? Um, I mean, I'll I'll drop some ratings. I, I mean, I think um, Eddie Jones is a good grass coach. You get him on the grass. I think he adapts the practices pretty well there would be some other stuff that you know i would want to have a chat with him about but i i, I love watching him coach he comes to life yeah how users, yeah and there'd be lots of others really go on rusty who
1: are you thinking who, i've got seven I've got, i'm morphing seven into one <laughs> go on then i've got john fletcher uh makes things simple Aidan mcnilty stretch uh, Dodsey at Birmingham, relationships. Anastasia Long, pure development, not keeping score, none of that shenanigans, pure development. Sarah Keller, storytelling and theming. Uh, Joel Ab wants to get better, keeps texting me. Uh, and Eddie, for a bit of mischief, as you, as you would know, uh, Mike, because he came on your call and was pretty mischievous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah that's great well listen i i, I really appreciate your time i'm gonna let you guys go because i know you've got other meetings and stuff to get to but i think everyone will be really really insightful and obviously it'd be great to keep in touch with you two and hopefully some of the listeners will come across to the magic academy and have a look at a load of the good work you're doing over there as well so thanks very much for your time and obviously stay safe and we'll catch up with you soon
2: cheers mate thanks mate thanks the catch up all right cheers
0: bye